please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Our text this morning is 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. This is the Word of the Lord. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you, for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out, so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. This concludes the reading of the word. You may be seated. Pastor Titu is in Scapoose today. Um, Pastor Prusik went to Hawaii for vacation. And Pastor Titu is filling that pulpit. And we have the privilege of hearing Dr. Battle today. So, Lord bless you. Thank you, Elder Huey. And it's such a pleasure to be with all of you again and preach behind this tall pulpit. I feel like I'm really protected back here from the missiles that may come forth from you. It's a real privilege for us pastors to be able to preach in different places. Uh, next week, I'll be down in Scapcoose, taking the place of Brother Titu, who's taking the place of Brother Prusik, who's AWOL somewhere. But uh, no doubt preaching to the animals or something out in the forest. As, as uh, we gather together, though, wherever we may be, whatever the congregation is or the pastor, uh, we are all gathered where Christ is, right? Christ is present with us, and we are his people, and brothers and sisters, regardless of where we live, uh, as we go from place to place, both in America and, and around the world, uh, when you gather with Christ's people, you know those are your brothers and sisters, and we have a common bond in Christ and a common faith and a common hope that binds us together much more closely than uh, mere boundaries of geography. Well, this morning I brought my ESV to preach from, and then I discovered everybody has a new King James. And so I thought, well, I'll use the Pew Bible, because I kind of like to have the same text everybody else has. It makes it easier to look at words and things. And then, out of the kindness of his heart... 
Brother Hollander, sitting behind me, uh, asked if I needed bigger print. <laughs> and so uh, he lent me his Bible. And this is wonderful. I can actually read this without uh, <laughs> approaching. And so thank you, Brother. It's, uh, it's a real privilege to have such a big print Bible here to read from. Well, as we look at this passage, perhaps you noticed as we read through the, the uh, verses here that the apostle wrote to the Thessalonians, that in verse 4 he mentions their election by God. And I wanted to speak this morning on the election of God and how do we know that God has elected us. Of course, the word elect means to choose or select somebody, and, and we believe in the doctrine that God elects his people, he chooses his people, and uh, he's done this before the foundation of the world, and that's predestination. When we had our synod meeting many years ago, back in Tennessee, I believe it was in Nashville, Tennessee, that Saturday, uh, the local church there asked any volunteers that wanted to, to go out and distribute among the neighbors there a little pamphlet inviting the people to come to their vacation Bible school, which was coming up very shortly. So several of the elders and the ministers who were there thought, yeah, that'd be fun to do. So uh, that afternoon, that Saturday afternoon, they went out and had these leaflets they gave out to the various people in the neighborhood. And then later that evening, they had a time when people uh, could give testimonies. And, and one of the a group, actually, it was a pair of ministers that had gone out, gave a word. They said that uh, during that afternoon, they had gone to this particular house with their leaflets and, and uh, went up to the front porch, and there was a screen door. And uh, the door was open, but the screen door was closed. But they could sort of see inside a little bit, and, and they rang the bell, and this, this man came to the other side of the screen door, and he had a, he had a beer can, and he had a T-shirt on, and kind of disheveled-looking, and and he looked at them and he said, what do you want? And so they told him that they were from the Bible Presbyterian Church, inviting them to the vacation Bible school. And his response uh, was memorable. He said, Presbyterians, he says, I know about you, Presbyterians. You believe in procrastination. <laughs> <laughs> That man, uh, he, he maybe didn't know theology very well, but he sure did know Bible Presbyterians. <laughs> well, that is one of our doctrines that we believe in, uh, predestination. Uh, we may practice procrastination, but uh, our goal is better than that. Here Paul says, you know that you are elect of God. You know you're elect of God. And Paul knows that they're elect of God. And what I'd like for us to guess, or not guess, actually to look and see, is how they know that they are the elect of God. Now, we know we've had elections in America in the past, and I think it was, was it uh, Dewey ran against Truman? Was that who it was? No. No, against Roosevelt. I, anyway, it was one of these guys, and they all went to bed at night thinking that he had won. And then they woke up the next morning and discovered that he hadn't won after all. Votes came in from other places, and he lost. I think that was Dewey, and I was trying to think now what year that was. But anyway, uh, it was a shock to find out that he wasn't elected after all, after all the boasting that he had done 
uh, in the late hours of the previous night. I hope that doesn't happen to us, where we think we're elect and then we discover that we're not. And it's good for us to check to make sure, make our calling and election sure. Now in this passage, if we look especially at verses 4 and 5 this morning, we see some keys to determining if we are indeed elect. Paul says that he prays for them often, remembering, in verse 3, remembering their work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God the Father, knowing, brother beloved, your election by God. So as Paul prays for them, he remembers them, and he knows that they are elect of God. Now, the first thing we notice in this passage is the source of that election. Where did this election begin? Now, in our case, sometimes people make decisions to vote for people based on what other people have told them, and and maybe even based on one of your speeches, they're going to vote for you. And we have a lot of conditions involved in that election. But with God, there were no previous opinions. Uh, There was nothing to consider. Now, some people think God looked way in the future to see what we would do, and if we did the right thing, then he would elect us. But uh, the Bible doesn't teach that at all. It's rather an election of grace. He chooses people by grace, which means they don't deserve it. It's not something that they merit. God chooses us according to his own will, his own purpose. And some he chooses, others he does not choose for salvation, but allows them to suffer the penalty for their sin. And as we think of God's election then, we must start with the source, God the Father. Uh, There was a a book written not too long ago trying to make God less than he was called The God Who Risks by John Sanders. And in that book, he discusses many scriptural passages trying to explain them away that God doesn't really know what's going to happen. God really has to change his plans from one year to the next. And uh, at the end of the book, he has this large index of scripture passages. So I was kind of curious because when you think about God predestinating us, one of the first scriptures you think about is Ephesians chapter 1. So let's just turn there while while we think about this to Ephesians, just a few pages earlier here, chapter 1. And... uh, I was looking in the index of that book to see what he had to say about this passage, because this is probably one of the most clear passages to God's predestinating us according to his own plans and purposes. And lo and behold, it wasn't in there. (laughs) He discussed a lot of passages, but for some reason that passage was totally left out of his book. You know, if you're going to prove something, it's always good when you're going against the objections and trying to overcome arguments, it's always good to mention those arguments, and especially the best arguments. But uh, it's, uh, uh, it's interesting that he didn't mention this, maybe because he couldn't figure out a way to get around the problem of this passage. So look here in Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us to adoption as sons 
by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the goodness of our lives, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Perhaps you noticed I misread that verse. It wasn't according to the goodness of our lives, was it? It says what? According to the good pleasure of his will. It was his decision to elect us. It wasn't based on something that we did. And uh, Paul recognizes this when he says your election of God, here in, back in verse 4, knowing your election of God or election by God. It's a wonderful thing that God is the one. You know, back in Deuteronomy, uh, God's talking to the people there and under uh, Moses' leadership, and he says, I chose you. I chose you not because you were the biggest of all the people, not because you were the best. I chose you because of keeping my promise to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says, you were the smallest of all the nations. Uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had a good-sized family. And when they went down to Egypt, it was like 70 people. But compared to the nations, that was a pretty small group. But God said, I chose you for my own purpose and my own glory. And God multiplied them after he chose them. So with us, God chooses us not because of the greatness that we have. You know, Paul mentions that, doesn't he, in 1 Corinthians when he talks about how not many wise are chosen, not many noble. There are a few. It's not like you have to be stupid to be a Christian, but uh, it helps. No, no, that's not that. <laughs> no, uh, sometimes it just helps because you don't realize all the bad things that are coming, but uh, usually God chooses ordinary people. He chooses some wise, some noble, but mostly common people, poor, uh, those who are despised by the world. And Paul says, why does he do that? And the reason he does that is so that the glory for all that's accomplished by his church, the glory is given to God. Just think if your session was like a great brain trust drawn from the greatest brains in the country. I think the session members, you know, if I asked them if that was the case here, uh, they would humbly admit, no, that's not how they were chosen. It's not like you picked the chairman of the corporation of all the biggest companies and put them on the session. God chooses ordinary people. We are ordinary people. And then he gives the gifts that are necessary to fulfill the office that he has given us. And we are all, our pastors, our elders, all, all the leaders in the church, as well as the people, we are what we are because God is gracious to us. And he has given us all that we have, our gifts that we use for his glory. So this is what Paul notices about that church, that their election is not from themselves. It is from God. Now we notice also in this passage that the election of God is shown by the result, by the effects of it. And this is especially clear in verse 4 as it goes on. Knowing your election by God, then verse 5, for or because our gospel did not come to you in word only, 
but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. As you know, what kind of men we were among you for your sake. The proof of this election or the evidence of the fact that we are elect is shown in this verse. He says, I know you're elect because. And he mentions several things. The first thing is that the gospel came to them. If the gospel doesn't come to you, that's evidence that you're not elect. If you hear the gospel, that's an evidence that God has elected you. That's not proof of it, but that's an evidence of it. You have actually heard the gospel. Now, a lot of people think they have heard the gospel when they haven't. Because the gospel they hear is not the true gospel. It's, it's like a watered-down version. Be good and go to heaven. You know, uh, Jesus, dies, Jesus lived and died so that you can follow him and receive him into your life. And you have some kind of a mystical experience which does not involve repentance. It does not involve faith, but it just involves a change of some kind. And now I'm following Jesus. And we have the Jesus people or the Jesus generation. And their lives often continue in the same sinful patterns they had before. And uh, as far as their doctrinal understanding, it is not biblical at all. So that's not a true gospel. But the true gospel, as Paul summarized it in, in Scripture, and as we see it, Christ came and he died for our sins. And he was buried and he rose again. And we are justified by faith in him. So when we come before God at the judgment, we can say, or he can ask us, you know, why should I, why, should, why, why do you want to come in? Or what right do you have to come in here to heaven? And, uh, or should I cast you into hell? And we know we're sinners, and we look at the Father, and we can just say, Christ died for me. And if that doesn't work, I'm lost. You know, our, all of our hope is in him. We don't have anything in ourselves that we can point to. And we can't say, well, here's where I signed my name on a piece of paper. You know, here's where I went forward in a meeting. Here's when I cried, or here's when I did this. We, we don't look at our own lives as the basis of how we get into heaven. It's what Christ has done. And that's the good news. And so Paul says, you heard that good news. Not many people hear that good news. And in our day, fewer and fewer people are hearing it, even in America. There is the gospel coming to you. The gospel is preached not only to you, but you understand it. You know, a lot of people hear and they don't comprehend. Jesus talked about the seed being thrown out onto the ground that was trodden down and hard, and it just didn't go under the surface of the dirt, and then soon the birds came and ate it, and the wind blew it away, and no growth was found. And a lot of people hear the gospel, but they don't understand it. They don't realize that it's for me that Jesus did this. They don't realize that. They just think it's a nice story or something like that. And then he says the gospel was preached with power. Notice this, knowing, brethren beloved, your election by God, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance. 
Now, in the very earliest days of the Christian church, and this epistle was written during those early days, there were many outward signs of the Holy Spirit that were present in the church. Uh, Prophecies, speaking in tongues are dealt with, for example, in 1 Corinthians. And other places it mentions these signs. But I believe when Paul says these things here, he's speaking perhaps of those in a general sense, but more particularly of the power of the Holy Spirit that is still evident in the church today. And we see that in the changing of the heart. Uh, Someone prayed this morning uh, to give us a heart of flesh. And that's so important that God changes our hearts. And Paul said, when I preached the gospel to you who did not hear it before, I could see the power of the Holy Spirit because some of you believed, you received it. You know, everyone can read the Bible. Everybody that can read can read the Bible or you can hear it read. Some people say that's interesting and they dismiss it. But some people, when they hear that, they say, yes, that's right. And they just accept it as true. You read it and there, that settles the issue. And that faith is the product of the Holy Spirit. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. And we believe that you can convince someone about the truth of Scripture intellectually in various ways, but that proof only comes up to a certain point. Uh, in, the, in our confession, it talks about a reverent esteem for the Bible. You can highly esteem the Scripture. It's a great book. Wow, it has many amazing things in it. And you can bring someone up to that point. But there's another point, another level above that, where you are fully assured of its truth, and that's the faith that the Holy Spirit gives. And that's given to those who are elect. And if you have that faith, then that's evidence that you are elect of God. That reception of the word. The word comes to you, and you accept it. You believe it. The gospel is preached to you with power and with the Holy Spirit. And then you receive it. And notice that in verse 5, you received the word in much assurance. Much assurance. You had that faith, the assurance of the truth of Scripture. Now, a true Christian can often have periods of darkness or doubt come into life, and God sometimes puts us through these dry periods uh, to make us more dependent upon him, to make us more humble. But the Christian has that underlying confidence and faith in the word of God, and God restores that person through prayer and further obedience. This full assurance is something we should all seek. So here he says, you have received the word, and that's evidence. That's how I know that God has elected you. Now, if you go back to verse 2, you see the fruits of that acceptance in this church. Paul said, when I pray for you, I remember what you were like when I was with you. And these were new Christians. These were, this was a new church in Thessalonica. But even in those first few months, Paul saw this evidence. Look in verse 3. He says, I remember without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope. In our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and Father. Everybody notices, of course, the the three things there, faith, 
hope, and love. This is something that God works in your heart. But this faith and hope and love isn't invisible. Like the, like the young man who told his, his, his girl, he says, I'll come through fire and storm to see you. And tomorrow night I'm coming over if it's not raining. <laughs> Oftentimes uh, our declarations don't quite match up with our deeds. But Paul said, you had faith, you had hope, and you had love, and you could tell it because it produced fruit in your life that was visible. So he mentions your work of faith. Your faith, because you believed the truth of the gospel, you did things. You did things. People could see what you were doing. You're all here today. You've done something on Sunday morning that a lot of people don't do. You're here. So that's evidence to me that you have faith. Now, it could be you were dragged here for some other reason by somebody, and that may be. But the congregation as a whole, as Paul looks at them, he says, your faith, your faith has produced a work. And that's not the only thing they do. They don't just go to church and then go home and then live like the devil the rest of the week. Their life shows their faith by their works. We know that if you don't have works, the Bible says your faith isn't worth much. It's dead. It's, it's not real. It's not genuine. So that work of faith, I can see. And then he mentions your labor of love. Love for God. Love for the church. Love for the people of God. And that love produces labor. Mothers love their babies. And because of that, when their baby cries at two in the morning, they'll get up and take care of the baby. And then the baby cries at three in the morning, and they get up because they love that baby. And likewise, at 3.30 and 3.45 and 5.10 and so forth. (laughs) Would you call that labor? Hard labor. Labor is that which is difficult, hard to overcome resistance. Sometimes you can labor a lot, and you don't seem to accomplish very much. This this often happens in life. You just... uh, I'm just thinking, I see Brother Bond in front of me, and he writes books. I suppose there are some days when he writes several pages and then crumples them up and throws them away. And uh, if you asked him at the end of the day, did you uh, work hard today? Yeah, I did. What would you get done? Nothing. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. That is true. Okay, yeah. So uh, uh, in whatever area of life we live in, labor is something that doesn't always get seen by others, but you realize you've done it. Uh, I saw a weightlifter once on TV trying to lift a very heavy set of barbells, and uh, it got heavier and heavier. And then that last one, he he was straining. I mean, the sweat was pouring off his face. He was his muscles were trembling. That barbell did not move one inch. Well, what work did he do? Zero. But what labor did he do? A lot. You know, God sees both our work and our labor. And I like that verse. If you just turn for a moment there to 1 Corinthians, it talks about the work and the labor. It kind of compares the two. At the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Therefore, my beloved brethren, the last verse, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord doing things for the Lord, 
knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That labor you put in, that doesn't seem to accomplish anything. God sees it. God rewards it. That labor is not in vain in the Lord. The Lord has his purpose in your life. He has his purpose even in the labors that we do that don't do anything. The failures. Many, many years ago, there was a movie of the life of Thomas Edison. Spencer Tracy playing the part of Thomas Edison. And it talked about how he discovered the light bulb. You know that story. And uh, they tried all these different substances to see if they would burn and make a bright light in, the, in a vacuum. And they kept trying all these things, different amounts of current, different materials, different type of gas filling the bulb, all these things. And every time it would flare up, bright light, and then it would stop. It would break. And one of his co-workers said to him, he said, how many failures do we have to have? And Edison's response, and I believe he really said something like this, was, it's not a failure, because now I know that this doesn't work. Every time we labor, God has a purpose in it. We may not know what that purpose is, but it's not in vain in the Lord. And so if you live a life of labor and nobody knows what you do, but you do it because of love, love for God, God has put you here and you're doing this for him, then that's an evidence that you are elect of God, chosen of God. And then the third thing that he mentioned that he remembered their work of faith, their labor of love, and their patience of hope. Of course, our hope is the coming of Christ, and he mentions that at the end of the chapter, to wait for his Son from heaven. When that great moment comes, then all our sorrows will be gone, tears will be no more, and the believers will be rewarded for their works, for their labors, and we patiently wait for that. And patience doesn't just mean just not caring if it comes soon. That's not patience. Patience is enduring the trials and difficulties because you have that hope of his coming. It means being faithful to Christ, even as a martyr, giving your life for Christ, because you know in the resurrection you'll have the reward from him. And so that patience, that endurance, this is the result of our hope. And these Thessalonians have already suffered for their faith in the Lord. You read about that in the book of Acts. And while they're suffering persecution, they are still faithfully with the Lord. Uh, recently, we've had several churches in North America and Canada and the U.S. that have had suffered civil penalties because they continue to do what God says they ought to do. And here in Washington State, we had a commandment from the state not to sing in church. And I hope you kept singing I'm sure you did, because I, I, I've asked people. We, we keep singing, too. Why? Not because we're rebellious and, you know, don't like people to tell us what to do. That's not the reason. It's because God commands it. That's why we do it. And uh, we do what God says, and sometimes, praise God, our churches have not had to suffer penalties uh, from the state for this, but many have throughout the country and in Canada, other places. That's just a small thing. 
But Paul says, as I observe these characters that you have, I see God's work in you in power. I see the Holy Spirit working in you, and that's how I know that you are the elect of God. We notice at the end of the verse, or actually at the end of this passage, he he mentions also in verse 5 that our gospel came to you and that you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. One other evidence, and I just want to mention that, is that someone actually came to you with the gospel. And I'd like for me to I'd like for us to think about the instruments of God's election. God chooses his people, but he also chooses the means by which the gospel will come to them. And that's where we come in as witnesses for Christ. Because God commands us to bear witness to Jesus Christ to others and to go to the ends of the earth and also around our own families and neighborhoods and where we work. God commands us to be, can I say preachers, (laughs) declarers of the gospel. Means that God uses to give the gospel to those about us. And that's what happened to them. Paul and his companions on the uh, second missionary journey with him, Silas and, and uh, Timothy at this point, they had come to the church there as sent by God. And while they were there, they lived among them. He says, you know what kind of men we were. And that's another message. But there's a wonderful testimony of the kind of men that they were in the chapter 2 of this book, when he talks about we were like fathers, we were like mothers to you, we were like fathers to you, we worked hard so that we could be with you, and we lived as examples before you. So the way we live and the attitude we have toward those to whom we witness is vital. And here he says, as as a sign, an evidence that you're chosen by God, he sent us to you. And, uh, Paul was there to hear the call of God to give the gospel. And God used him as a means of their coming to Christ. So that's the election of God, how we know we're elect. And may God give each of us the assurance that we are his, both by our faith and by our life. And may we then also be instruments of God's election bringing the gospel to others. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for the wonderful privilege it is to bear the good news of Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have brought it to us and by your Spirit have enlightened us to receive the gospel and to trust in our Lord and to seek to serve him. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us then to be instruments of God for others, just as Paul was, that we would be able to have the joy remembering God's work among those whom we have contacted and known. And Lord, we ask your blessing upon us now in Jesus' name. Amen.